say a prayer with me before we look at the scriptures. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we uh, thank you for your presence. We know that whenever we're gathered together, you're present with us. We've come here to give you praise and honor and glory and also to receive from you your grace, your mercy, your teaching, your challenge, your encouragement, your correction. Uh, God, your vision for our lives as people who are trying to follow Jesus. So we thank you for always being present and faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been having this conversation for a couple of months over the summer called Steps of Faith. And each Sunday we've been reminding you that we don't mean steps in the sense of climbing up a ladder. We just mean steps like you take when you're walking anywhere. And the metaphor of following Jesus means that we're actively looking for God's leadership in our life and together taking steps to follow along as we figure out what God, it, God wants us to do. So every single day, we're taking steps. We're choosing to take steps of faith that orient our lives towards who Jesus is and how we're being led in our everyday life. We've been talking about different steps over the last months. We've talked about choosing to follow Jesus for the first time as a step of faith. We've talked about being baptized. We celebrated a baptism, which was amazing, down in the Mississippi River. We're talking today about communion. Christian Ann taught about becoming a covenant member of a church. Stephanie talked about confession as a step of faith last week. And next weekend, we'll be talking about worship as a step of faith as we finish up the series. Today, we're going to be talking about communion, receiving communion as a step of faith. And for some of you, that may be uh, something you're very familiar with. We've started taking communion every week at Mill City Church as part of our worship practice. For others of you, it may be a totally new thing that you'll just be learning about today. Different Christian traditions. Mill City has a lot of people that come from lots of different Christian traditions and some with no Christian tradition at all. And different Christian traditions see communion differently, but they all agree on how essential the practice of regularly taking communion is to really being a follower of Jesus and receiving God's forgiveness and grace in your life and following God's leadership in your life. So I put together this little statement for us today to help us to understand what communion is. If you can put that up on the screen for me, Adam. Or I'll read it. We believe that communion is a step of faith that we take regularly to remember what Jesus has done for us. Three things. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Confess and receive forgiveness for our sins. And be sent into the everyday world to participate in what God's doing. So let me, those are the three things we're going to talk about this morning. First thing is, we got to remember what Jesus has done for us. We have to confess and receive. So every week when we're coming forward, we're saying, we know that we need forgiveness from God on a regular basis. It's part of our spiritual food to be forgiven, to be set free, to be made clean, and to be given another chance, a second chance, a tenth chance, a hundredth chance to follow Jesus faithfully. And finally, not only that we receive our forgiveness, but then we go back out of this place into the world of regular life. And God sends us into that world with purpose to be part of the things that God is doing. So we're going to talk about each of those three things as we, as we think about communion today. But I want to start by digging into the story in the church, uh, early church in Corinth, and how they were mispracticing communion and really actually embodying the opposite of what communion is supposed to be about. But I gotta give you some background in order for you to really understand this text. It's the only place in scripture 
where we find the Apostle Paul who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament talking about communion. So it's a really valuable piece of scripture in that sense. But there was a bunch of divisions in this church. So see if this sounds like any church you've heard of. In the, in the letter to the Corinthians, in the letters to the Corinthians, Paul says, you're struggling because you're divided. That's one of his main points. And they're divided over a whole number of things. One of the things they're divided on is they can't decide which leader is more important, which teacher in the church is more important. Is Paul's teaching more important? Is Apollos' teaching more important? Is someone else's teaching more important? Who baptized who? They're having all sorts of arguments about which church leader is the best. That doesn't sound like the 21st century at all, does it? They're also arguing about um, how worship is supposed to work. The order of worship, the style of worship, whether women are supposed to sit in the back or the front, how people are supposed to participate in the worship service, who gets to speak, who doesn't get to speak, and they're having all sorts of divisions about the kind of worship that they're uh, wanting to have. Then there were, there were even more serious divisions, like division over uh, is issues of sexual ethics and sexual misconduct. There were Christians suing each other in the Greco-Roman court structure, and at one point in the letters, Paul says, wouldn't it be better to just be wronged than to have the name of Christ be represented as two people yelling at each other in the courts? So they had all these different issues, and we have most of those same issues today, don't we? They had problems and divisions in the way in which they were gathering together in homes. So at this point, there are no church buildings. And so they gather together in homes, and they often gather together in homes of people who are a little bit wealthier, who had a little bit more space, who could include some more people. So I want to center in on the problems that they were having when they were meeting in these homes. People would gather together, and someone would provide a meal, or people would bring food along, and that was how they practiced communion, sharing the Lord's Supper together, eating a meal together, and remembering what Jesus had done for them. But in this particular case, when Paul's writing to them, these meals had become a huge problem. So here's the best way I know to explain the problem to you. We have a missional community called OO, which stands for Open Hearts, Open Home. And they're amazing at helping people grow in their hospitality and receiving hospitality from others. So imagine you're relatively new to Mill City Church, and you get invited over to somebody's home, all right? And it's clear, like, that this is something that they do as part of the church. But when you go to their house, they can only seat nine people around their dining table, around the main dining table. And when you get there, those people are already there. Those seats are already filled. And then there's a smattering of chairs in the living room, kind of connected to the dining room. And then there's a group of people who've been asked to stand in the garage that's connected to the house, okay? And when you get there, they decide you, you should be in the garage. So you go to the garage, and there's like rakes hanging on the wall and maybe a, a small table in the middle and no food, okay? But you were in the house long enough to see that there were nine people having a fantastic meal that maybe Christian Ann made, because that would make it fantastic. And they were drinking wine and having fun and some of them had like a little too much wine, it was clear, and they're enjoying themselves and they all know each other and they're on the inside of this church and you can tell. Then there's the living room people who are like a little confused and they have some food, like leftover crackers and some soda. But then you go into the garage, and in the garage, there's a guy drinking out of the hose. And then another person has 
some what looks like reheated macaroni and cheese that the kids didn't eat the Saturday before. And, and you start to think to yourself, what kind of church is this? This is what they, they invited me, and since I'm new, I'm in the mac and cheese and hose water group. And how do you get to be in the Christian and meal group? And then what are the middle people doing? I don't understand how that's supposed to work. Now, that would be infinitely more offensive now in the 21st century, but this is basically the problem they had. In Greco-Roman culture, it was very common to have a primary setting for the most important people, the richest people usually, and then kind of like a secondary ring for the party and maybe a tertiary ring and on and on and on, depending on how many people showed up. And the people in the second rings were almost always poorer or they'd been slaves or they were free or they just had a different social status. So Paul's writing this text I'm about to read to you saying, you're practicing communion. You're remembering what God's done for you. You're remembering that you're forgiven. You're being sent into the world. But you're doing it with this weird macaroni and cheese and hose water party that is actually the opposite of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So that's my really long backstory for you to better understand this text that I'm about to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's, here's what Paul says to this church. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Now, this next statement, you have to realize that sometimes sarcasm is in the Bible. For those of you who are sarcastic, that'll be encouraging. For those of you who hate sarcasm, that'll be disturbing. But you can't understand this next statement if you don't understand sarcasm. Paul says, No doubt there have to be differences among you in order to show which of you have God's approval. He's criticizing them because they're clearly saying some people God approves of more than other people. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. 
Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. So Paul is clearly not happy with this group, right? He's saying the way in which you're coming together to celebrate communion and remember what Jesus has done for you is the exact opposite of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. When we take communion together, we are trying to remember what Jesus had done so we can be united, so we can be forgiven, and so we can be sent. Let's talk about each one of those for a brief minute. No one is any more important at the Lord's table than anyone else, right? No one's any more important at Jesus' table than anybody else. And this is one of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith, in my opinion, that our unity comes in our humility, that we all have a desperate need for God. Doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much education you have, doesn't matter where you come from, what your family's like, what your ethnic background is, doesn't matter to Jesus. Everyone has the same opportunity to come and eat at Jesus' table by simply accepting the opportunity to have faith in Christ and to receive what he's already accomplished on the cross. That's how our unity is defined. And so the church has to be a community that when they come together and they share in the Lord's table, or really as we do anything, the way in which we do those things has to say to the world that we're united, that we don't have preferences for certain people over other people. This church in Corinth is divided on all sorts of these issues, and they really were trying to say these people are slightly more important or a lot more important than these other folks. But receiving communion reminds us that we're all equal in God's sight. Uh, Leland Eliason, who's been on our leadership team and pastor, leader of Bethel Seminary for years, at Stephanie's wedding was introducing communion. And he said, in one particularly crabby moment in the life of a church that I was leading, where we had lots of division, we decided, even though it was our practice to take communion once a month, to start taking it every week. Because it's a lot harder to be mad at the people that you're sitting next to when you're regularly taking communion and being reminded of the humble space that we all have as we come before God. We are called to be united as the church in an increasingly divided world. And the foundation of our unity comes through our baptism and comes through our sharing of the Lord's table on a consistent basis. So we, we remember what Jesus has done so we can be united. We also remember what Jesus has done so we can be forgiven. One author I read this week said, we come to the table with a sort of desperation that you kind of lose if you're a Christian over time and you're taking communion every week. You maybe don't have that sense every time you come forward, but there's a sense of desperation in the text where Paul's saying, we all desperately need to be rescued by God in our lives. Not just one time at some point when you make a decision, but daily we're dependent upon God's presence. Otherwise, we're totally lost. And so when we come together, we come to this table as people who are desperately in need of this, of this bread and this juice as the representative sacred symbols of the forgiveness that God offers to us in our lives. Steph did such a good job last week talking about the power of confession to free us from the things that weigh us down, the sins that weigh us down 
in our lives. We're not only called to receive that forgiveness, but then that forgiveness changes our lives. If someone offers you the most amazing gift you've ever received in your life, you can't help but then live differently, more generously, less selfishly. We're called to live less selfishly and to consider other people more important than ourselves, the text says. Because the leader of our church, the person who God sent to save us, gave away everything he had, including his own life, in order to draw us into right relationship with God. So that characterizes us as, as Christians. That ought to be our reputation across the world as people who live such generous lives because we've been given more than we can ever give back. So communion is this sort of humble, we know we need this, and we also are going to receive it and give back to the people that God puts into our lives. This last section I want to spend a little extra time on, where he starts to tell them about how they need to examine themselves. And for some of you who maybe grew up in evangelical contexts, you might have learned that this is the time that you are supposed to be extra introspective before you come up. And I think it's really good to take a moment before you come up to communion in your seat and confess your own sin and just say, God, I, I need you to examine my own heart. I have nothing against that. But that's not really what Paul was trying to teach this group right here. He was trying to say to them, you all are eating and drinking judgment on yourself at these weird macaroni and cheese and hose water parties that you're having. Because you are embodying, the thing you're doing is the opposite of the cross. You are dividing yourselves. You are shaming poor people. You are categorizing folks in ways that Jesus did not die to support. And so this gathering you have is not communion. It's not the Lord's Supper. You're not receiving forgiveness. You're actually sinning and bringing God's judgment and the effects of God's judgment into your life and into your community. And the little bit of sympathy I have for this group right here is, is that they were living in a culture where having nine-person parties where everybody eats the best food was normal. And they hadn't gotten to the point where they, they figured out, okay, so we need to take what Jesus has done for us and let it shape how we do everything else in our lives. And this is the part about being sent out into the world. If we're united and forgiven, communion also sends us out. So we have to look at the way that we work, at the way that we live with our neighbors, at the way that we do anything in everyday life and say, how is what Jesus has done for us shape those other activities? Uh, over, the, over the summer, I've been spending more time at my dad's company. He owns a heating and air conditioning company. It's been in our family for four generations, 80-some years. And Chris has worked there for 10 years. But I've just been hanging out there half a day a week, day a week, doing some things for my dad. And it's been fascinating to see how the people who work there, who know what I do normally, are reacting to me. So even on Friday, like, I heard a curse word down the hall, and then I heard somebody go, shh which I'm pretty sure isn't normal. Like, I don't think that's the normal. But it highlighted for me how, because of, for them, they don't know me that well, and I symbolize for them the church, right? Christian faith in some way. This guy's like a formal Christian person. We better mind, mind our, our P's and Q's. We better behave. Um, we all have some level of witness 
in the world. It's not just a private act that we rent Sheridan out and we all share communion and get forgiven and then don't ever say anything about it again. We are sent out into the world to embody this self-sacrificing love that the cross defines for us. This give your life up for the sake of other people that the church is known in the world as the group of people who give their lives for the sake of others. Because we have been forgiven, because we've been united, because our leader did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So as I finish up, let me invite the band to come up. The way that we practice communion at Mill City is every, every week now, you'll hear us say, come forward, grab the gluten-free bread, which someone told me is now from Israel. I don't know if we're importing it from Israel or not. Don't, don't quote me on that. Steph told me that. She might have just been messing with me. Come down and grab this piece of bread and dip it in juice, which in fancy Christian language is called intinction. Dip it in the juice. And someone, uh, usually a person that's not necessarily on staff, will be down here serving it to you. And that's intentional. Because we believe that all of us are equal at God's table. And they come and they, they look at you and they're offering it to you. If you've never served communion, it's one of the most powerful things we get to do. To look at someone else and say, I believe God loves you, forgives you, I'm united with you. Here, receive the gift that God has for you. We come down as a kind of an uh, act of humility, right? You've got to get up out of your chair and come down one of these aisles, which is a sort of admission in a way. I do need God's forgiveness in my life. I do need God's leadership in my life. I need to be fed. Sometimes I hear people talk about being fed in church, which is important. Usually they, they're using it to tell me whether they liked my sermon or not. Um, but really, isn't this us primarily being fed? This is what Jesus has done for us. We get fed from the word, we get fed from prayer, but we also get fed from sharing in the table that God's provided for us. So we humbly walk down here. We receive forgiveness from someone who's the same as us at that table. And then we turn around and we walk out, and there are people on the sides who are wanting to pray for you, which I'm really hoping they're going to go there soon and pray for people. And they walk out. They're not just trying to get into your private life. They want to pray for you to be free from whatever's bogging you down so that when you go out of the school and into your regular life, you can be a witness to the kind of crazy, self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ in the world that the world so desperately needs right now. And so here, in just a few minutes after I pray, you have the invitation. We always say, you don't have to be a member of Mill City Church. You have to be a follower of Jesus. He has to be your Lord and Savior. You come down, everyone's the same and welcome at the Lord's table. So you have the chance now to practice this and come down. Receive God's grace. Be united with the people in this room and then be sent into the world as we take communion together. Let me pray for it. Jesus, you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of that every week because it's easy to forget with all the noise that exists in the world. The competing stories, the various ways in which we're told about who we are and what we're supposed to be about. Then we come together with our church family and we remember we remember that you gave your life up for us in a very costly way. 
but you loved us so much that you were willing to endure the cross, endure death, conquer death, be resurrected, and send your spirit into our lives simply by us receiving through faith the gift that you have to offer to us. So as we come forward today, God, we are desperate for your love, for a renewed sense that you know us, that you've created us, that you forgive us, and that you've got something for us to do that's meaningful this week in this world that we know desperately needs self-sacrificial, unconditional love that you've defined for us. We come forward humbly, none of us better than the other at your table. We're grateful for your sacrifice and your gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.